We ask that you would work uh, beyond sometimes the stalemates that our government has, and we ask that you will bless and strengthen and equip and resource the Christians who are close by, who are beginning to respond as you've led, and we pray that the, uh, the dignity of human life will be upheld in every possible way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Marie Andrade read our scripture this morning, and there's a phrase in that passage that has worked its way into our contemporary language. There is this phrase that we use when a person delivers a powerful statement or when an athlete delivers a decisive blow in the midst of a conversation. Someone will call out this encouraging phrase, you nailed it, you nailed it. She nailed it with that goal that was just under the crossbar. Or Kawhi Leonard nailed it with that impossible three-point shot at the buzzer at the, in the last part of that seventh game to project the Raptors into the finals. I want you to hold on to that thought for a few minutes because this morning we're going to talk about a time when the Bible tells us that Jesus nailed it. And even our songs of old, like one of the songs that we just sang, says, it is nailed to the cross not in part, but the whole. What is it that's nailed there? My sin, not in part, but the whole. And the Bible uses that phrase and tells us that there was a moment in time when Jesus nailed it in the most important way, securing victory and freedom for us in ways that last far longer than the memory of any sporting events. This morning, we're in the fourth part of a summer series that we're calling Getting Clear on Jesus, and our theme today is all the fullness all the fullness of Jesus that was involved in this one great, most powerful act. Here's the big idea. I'm going to give it to you right off the top this morning. We are free to live triumphantly when we understand the fullness of Christ and the fullness of His triumph on the cross. We are free the more we understand this concept of the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul is writing here in this second chapter of Colossians, where we're four weeks into this, so we've been breaking this down section by section, and Paul is talking about keys for living a victorious life. Maybe you need that thought. There are a number of Christians who find Christian life is very, very frustrating because we've come to understand that Jesus is our Savior and maybe even our Lord, and we've asked Him for salvation to break through into our lives, and we've received that gift of salvation, but very often people are still trapped in something from the past, some behavior or controlling addiction or something else that locks you and you're stuck. So one of the questions is, how do we live the victorious life that sees victory over all of those things and where we experience more and more of the freedom that Christ came to give? And so Paul is writing about this thought because if you remember, those of you who have been with us the last few weeks, the church in Colossae that he was writing this letter to was in trouble. They were in trouble because there were some teachers of a, of a new concept, some new ideas that was called Gnosticism. And they were saying, hey, you've got Jesus, that's great, but in our view, our dualistic worldview, the, the earth and everything here is common and bad and corrupted, and only the heavens where God himself exists are pure. So if you're Jesus came to earth 
and took on human flesh and dwelled on this earth, then he must be a pretty low being. And what we want to tell you about, this is what the Gnostics were teaching, is that you've only believed the most elementary things in uh, New Testament Christianity, apostolic Christianity. There are these other spiritual beings that are greater than Jesus between Jesus and God. Let us tell you about them. The moment that happens, Jesus gets left behind and people start saying, well, Jesus isn't really enough. If, if I knew about this one or that one or some other, and there are hundreds of these, and the Greeks used a word to describe them. They were called the pleroma, the many spiritual beings that are greater than Jesus but on their way higher and higher toward God. So Jesus is saying, or, or Paul is writing, Jesus is enough. And if you've understood the, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel that the disciples promoted and presented and died for, through and through Jesus is enough. And so we've seen each week how that theme comes resonating back to us. And we're going to see that once again today. Four keys to living a victorious life that Paul talks about here. Here's the first one. Grow deep roots in Christian faith. Deep roots is what we need. He starts off in verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The word so then at the beginning of verse 6 signal a conclusion that is coming. In other words, this is built on and based on everything that we've studied the last three weeks. In the previous verses that we looked at last Sunday, Paul was talking about the great mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is, this is the uh, open secret now that was hidden in the past, but now is open because of Christ that he actually wants to dwell in us by virtue of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so he's about to give us some practical steps to help us live out these truths and live in the midst of this new dawning reality that Christ is alive in you. The concern that Paul had was that some of these Christians would be swept away by the seductiveness of the false teaching that was beginning to go out. So, presuming that you have received Jesus as Lord of your life, Paul now gives instructions about how to live this victorious life as opposed to a defeated life. And I know that every single one of us at different times have felt stuck and defeated in our faith journey. The phrase that pushes us in this direction is where Paul says, continue to live your lives in Him. A more literal rendering from the actual New Testament Greek would read more like this, continue to walk in him. Walk and keep walking. The NIV uses that phrase, live your lives. So this walk is meant living out your faith in, in life continually. The picture portrayed for us is that the life of a Christian is not just lived sitting around. Instead, we are expected to be active, walking out our faith wherever we go day by day. Does that make sense to you? We're to, to be living a living, active life, walking through it. So we have this picture of standing strong by walking in faith. Dennis Davidson, a pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee, offers an illustration that helps us to understand this concept. He writes, The banks of certain rivers are lined with a substance called near quicksand. It's almost quicksand, but not quite. If you keep walking on this near quicksand, you don't have a problem. But if you stop, you'll start sinking, and eventually you'll get sucked in completely. 
In effect, what Paul is saying, this is what life is like. There's near quicksand all around you. But if you keep walking in your faith and you keep moving, it's not a problem. If you stand still too long or you just stop living the life, that's when you're in trouble. Still with me? Okay. Several times, New Testament writers refer to this concept of walking in faith. This presumes that we will be daily developing our faith And it gives us the idea that before we can run the race, we have to walk the walk. What is involved in walking the walk? And Paul lists a few things right here in these verses. First, being rooted and built up in him. So the Bible is telling you that the only way that you will make it as a Christian to the end, to the goal, to hear that well done, good and faithful servant, is to be deeply rooted in Christ himself. On the day that you received Jesus as Lord of your life, he became the source of your spiritual strength, your spiritual nourishment, your growth, and the fruit that should emanate from your life as a Christian. There is no shortcut to this process. There is no other source than Jesus himself. But this is your responsibility and my responsibility as individual Christians to grow deep roots by spending time with Jesus. Some of you will not be happy about me saying this, but let me say this very clearly. It is your responsibility to grow deep roots for your faith, not mine. I can teach you. Pastors can present ideas and concepts to you. We can lead you to greater understanding, but we cannot grow your faith. It is your responsibility to grow your roots deeply. Now, let me hear it. Whose responsibility is it for you to grow more deeply in faith? Yes, it is. Wow, that's freeing, isn't it? You're not waiting for somebody else. He wants you to spend time directly with Jesus. He is the source for all of this. Here's the second key to that, or second uh, step in that process. Being strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Okay, this is where reading the Bible comes in. This is where learning the faith that was handed down from the apostles comes in. Once the churches in the region of Asia Minor where Colossae existed, modern day Turkey, once they got these letters, they studied them. They passed them around. They copied them. They memorized parts of them or sometimes even the whole. How many of you know the name of Wayne Cordero? Anybody know Wayne Cordero? He spoke at the Leadership Summit one time about 10 years ago, if you were there. But Wayne is a very influential Christian pastor in Hawaii. Recently, Wayne spent some time in China meeting with large numbers of pastors and members of Chinese churches. Several of those pastors and church leaders have spent time in prison in recent years for their faith as Chinese Christians, as the the land of China, the government of China, has been cracking down on churches and on Christianity again. They told Wayne that in order to survive really tough prison conditions, they prepared in two ways. The first was that they had memorized large chunks of scripture that they would take in with them and and they would recite those verses. The second way is that some of them wrote down little verses, little bits of scripture on pieces of tissue paper, hid it somehow in their clothing or I don't even want to know where, in their body, so that when they were finally in a prison cell, they could read those verses of Scripture, take them to memory, hand that off to somebody else. 
Wayne spent a week with these pastors and with these church leaders, and they were very, very respectful. They were, they were honored that here was this American Christian of a very large church who had come to, te- to teach them. And at the end, they said, Wayne, would you pray for us that we would become more like the church in America? And he was cut short. And he thought about it, and he said, no, I will not pray for you that you become like the church in America. I will pray that the church in America becomes more like you. Powerful story. And here's the third uh, little step, growth step towards roots that, Jesus t- that uh, Paul talks about. Being filled to overflowing with thankfulness. One part of the secret sauce of Christian growth and of growing deep roots in your faith has to do with the practice of thankfulness. The more we thank God for what he has done, for the resources that he gives us, for the blessings that come, for the understanding that we've been given, the deeper our rootedness in Christ will grow. Here's the second key to a victorious life. The first is grow deep roots and take responsibility for it. The second is trust Jesus' offer of fullness. Verse eight continues on. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Our title for this message comes from that phrase. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul's main point has been to establish in each section of this letter the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is enough, that you can rely on Jesus. He doesn't want to see any of us fall for hollow or deceptive beliefs or practices. He wants us to know once again that Jesus is enough in a time when people are saying, you really should be looking in this other direction. You really shouldn't be looking at these other people. Christianity, the faith of Jesus, the faith of the disciples, it's old news. And he has also been repeating this one key concept of fullness. In chapter 1, verse 19, Paul wrote that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. In verse 25 of chapter 1, Paul says that his commission was to present the word of God in its fullness. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul's goal was to encourage people toward the full riches of knowing Christ. So here we have three times that concept of fullness has been repeated so far. And now Paul's going to add to our awareness of this fullness concept. He does this through a contrast with the word hollow and the word fullness. When you're out in the woods and you see a tree that has fallen, it was rotting, and you discover a hollow log and you're able to look inside, what do you see? Nothing, right? Hollow means empty. There's nothing in there, right? So Paul is presenting a contrast between the hollowness of the ideas that people come up with when they create religion and the fullness of Christ. And so now Paul adds two thoughts in verses 9 and 10. He says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then he tells us a little bit about how God sees us that in Christ you have been brought to fullness. What does that mean? What was Paul teaching? The Gnostics claimed to have this higher knowledge, more sophisticated than the gospel, 
but they also had this dualistic worldview that the earth is evil and corrupted, heaven is pure, and the two cannot come together, that God would have nothing to do with the earth because God is pure and perfect. The scandal of Christianity in the midst of all the ancient religions was that the very Son of God sharing his nature would come and take on human nature and become one of us. It's the most wonderful thing that has ever happened in the history of all religions or thoughts about religions or thoughts about God that the perfect God himself would take on human form and become one of us. It shows us how much he loves people and cares about people and the risk that he would take These Gnostics viewed Jesus as the lowest of the angelic beings, and so they imagined these higher spiritual beings between Jesus and God, which is why Paul wrote specifically that in Christ, all the fullness, and the word is the same word that the Gnostics used, that pleroma, the fullness of the deity, lives in him. And the question that rises from that is, who needs these other spiritual beings who are invented by human ideas when all of the fullness of God rests in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is above all. Jesus is enough. Jesus is the fullness of God. Now, years ago, about 100 years ago, Dwight Moody was teaching about this concept of the fullness in Jesus. And he put an empty water glass, a water container, on a stool. And he asked people, when he held it up, how would you get the air out of a container like this? And people started to come up with all kinds of ideas. Somebody imagined they could create some kind of a suction pump and they could suction all of the air out of it and eventually you know, it would be free from all that. And while they were coming up with those ideas, he picked up a pitcher and he started to pour it into that container. And as he filled it with water, and I'm going to do this deliberately. Now let me ask you something. Where is the air that was in my little tumbler here. It's go- Why is it gone? Because it's filled with water and there's no room for the hollowness. This is what Christ does for us and in us. And this is what God was telling us about Christ himself, that all of the fullness of the deity, all of God was poured into Jesus, even in his human form, which leaves no room. It spills over. It, it leaves no room for the, for the hollowness. Here's the third key. Identify with his fullness. Verse 10 takes us further in. We ended with that in the last section, but we're going to come back to it because it sets up where we're going with verses 11 and 12. And in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh that was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 10 leads with an amazing statement that begs our attention. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. The question that immediately arises for you and me is, okay, how? How have we been brought to fullness? We can understand that Jesus is fully God, that all of the deity dwells in him. And that's the question that he's answering in verses 11 and 12. These verses reveal three marks of our new identity. 
First, we died with Christ. Second, we were buried with Christ. Third, we were raised with Christ. Let me unpack that for you. He talks about dying with Christ through the illustration of circumcision. Circumcision here is used as a sign of death. Here's the reason for that. As Paul is calling these people to remember the old covenant that Jewish people had celebrated before the time of Christ, circumcision was the primary outward sign made in the flesh of a male person. If a circumcised person did not live up to the covenant's demands, the illustration of circumcision in human flesh means you will be cut off from God and from all of his benefits. It was a binding of a person to the law and to our need to fulfill every aspect of the law. In that way, circumcision was a reminder of the corrupting influence of flesh that kills. But Jesus goes far beyond. What Paul's illustration is showing is that he allowed his body to be more than circumcision. He allowed his entire body to be beaten and then destroyed once for all through the process of going through that humiliation and then the death on the cross. Spiritually, when a person becomes alive to Christ, the power of the flesh dies in him, and in effect, we have died with Christ on that cross. We have died to the old way of life, we have died to the sinful nature, we have died to to all the fleshly part of who we are that sometimes becomes so controlling in terms of our habits. And then on top of that illustration, he uses another one, and he says that when we are baptized in water, having put our faith in Christ, that that baptism signifies participating in Jesus' burial and resurrection. And so the picture is, as you go under the water, that you're, you're literally pre- uh, participating in, in his burial for a short time, and then you're being raised up as somebody who is new in life. So there are three pictures side by side, participating in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we identify with him in this way. So if you're considering being baptized, I'm not going to guilt trip you or anything like that. We don't fight over baptism. But when we practice baptism, we practice a believer's baptism, and as often as possible, through the act of immersion. Why? Because it portrays these symbols that are here, written about by the early apostles in the most ancient documents of the church. We are not trying to say nobody else's baptism counts. That's not it. That's not the fight we want to be in. What we are saying is, when we have the opportunity, let's be as close to the original as we can possibly be. That's what we're doing. And we identify with him in that way. And then here's the fourth key. Celebrate the impact of his fullness. Verses 13, 14, and 15 are three of the most powerful verses in the entire New Testament. Here Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's what we just talked about, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Embedded in this paragraph of Scripture is the concept of a certificate of debt. There was an ancient practice in Rome in their judicial system. When a man was found guilty of a crime, a certificate listing all of his crimes was nailed to the door outside his cell. It was called a certificate of debt. And it also listed 
the number of days, months, or years that that person was sentenced to serve in that prison. When that person had fulfilled his duty to the law, that certificate was marked paid in full. And a judge would then take that certificate and would notarize it, and the freed man would be given that certificate to carry with him wherever he went. If anyone saw him and said, oh, I know you, you're the guy who did that, and they'd accuse him again of the same crime that put him in that prison, he could bring out that certificate and say, no, 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 see here, I have my certificate, it's been stamped, paid in full, I'm free, you can't get me on double jeopardy. I've paid for that already. Here again, Paul explains the impact of Jesus' fullness. He forgave all our sins, he canceled all the charges that were against us, And he has taken those charges and he has nailed them to his cross. What does that mean? All of my sin has been nailed to the cross. All of my shame has been nailed to the cross. All of my greed has been nailed to the cross. So we could write, if we will, on this certificate, my sin, my shame, my greed, my sloth, my lust, and on and on and on. And we could soon fill that up. What that means is that our certificate was nailed to his cross. And in doing so, what the Bible tells us is the very thing that was meant to cause shame and pain for Jesus, the cross, an an instrument of destruction, And the scroll that they would fasten to it over his head, you know why Jesus was put on the cross, right? Because he claimed to be the son of God. That's what they wrote on there. But what he took to the cross was your scroll and mine. And he nailed it there once for all time. When we say that Jesus nailed it, this is what we mean. This is the moment where the most powerful thing that has ever impacted you or me was accomplished when he took your sins and mine, he took our certificate, and he nailed it on his cross so that never again can my sin, my shame, my greed, my sins, whatever the individual sins may be, can they be used against me because he has paid them in full. Isn't that awesome? That's what it means when it says that he made a spectacle of the disarmed powers. In that moment, the evil one thought that he had won, that Jesus had died on the cross, but that moment was actually the moment of glory when all of our sins had been paid for. And in the moment that the evil one was, was cheering wildly and thinking, yes, he's gone, he's dead, he's a failure, the victorious blow had been struck. And there is nothing that he died for that holds power over you and me unless we give it power again. You're free. You're free to live life to the fullest. We're free to honor him in every possible way. And so Paul's encouragement is not meant to guilt trip us, but to cause us to celebrate how free we really are. He has disarmed all the powers that could ever accuse us or be arrayed against us. We are free to live triumphantly when we understand the fullness of Christ and the fullness of his triumph on the cross. 
I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite the team to come and play um, a last song. But I want you to hold on. I don't want you to leave just yet if you're one of those who leaves as soon as the final song starts because I'm going to create an opportunity for you to respond in just a minute. I want you to think this is Good Friday in the middle of summer, okay? Hang on for just a minute. Dave, if you guys are ready. Hello. Here we go. Here we go. Let me pray. And uh, they were going to sneak up here silently when I prayed and I just kind of sprung this on them. God, I pray that you would make this very, very real to us and give us a, a powerful sense of a reminder and an appreciation of all that you have done, both in terms of putting your fullness in Jesus, even as he took on human form, and giving us the fullness of Jesus in our lives where we're not waiting for more. That as much as we live out our faith, the much as we, we give away the love that you've given us, the much, as much as we, we dare to exercise our faith, you keep filling up our ever-stretching capacity to know more and more of Jesus, to experience more and more in Jesus, and to have more and more of Jesus. And my prayer this morning is that you would not let a person leave this place without knowing for sure that their sins have been carried to the cross, that if they put their faith in Jesus, that he will not only give them uh, complete forgiveness and grace, but that he will also lead us into lives that are increasingly reflecting the fact that the powers that are against us have been disarmed, they have been triumphed over, and that Jesus made a spectacle of them by turning the cross around and making it a symbol of victory and joy rather than death and defeat. And so I pray for our congregation that, that you would allow us in increasing ways to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, to spend more and more time with Jesus, and to know that he is our source. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Got a final song that we're going to sing. It's a new one for some of you. Yes and amen. And David, lead away here.
So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. It'll be just a little bit lower. You don't have to. If you would like to go home and need to go home, the service is over for you right now. But if you're moved by this, I've got some smaller Sharpies up here. And I'm going to give you an opportunity if it would help you to have a sense of experiencing the victory of Christ a bit more or appreciating and celebrating what Christ has done through his victory on the cross for us. Come on up and take one of these pens and write whatever words God leads you to write and let's just fill this thing with those who are willing. We've got plenty of Sharpies. We've got a lot of sin that we've been uh, forgiven of. And uh, let's just see what happens. This will either bomb or it'll be a huge success, and I don't know which, but I'm willing to take the risk if you are. So let's go. If you're ready, let's just go, and we're going to continue to sing. Make sense? That movie both. Cool. I want to catch up with you. I'm going to be around this week and then I'm gone for two. I'm going to be in Denver for classes for two weeks. So, yeah, I won't be far from her, but yeah. Okay, have a great day. Hey, Rosie. Thank you. Hey, Rick. Later. Thanks, my friend. Hi, Diane. How are you today? Good. Good. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? So June 6th, we've got a D-Day coming up. A D-Day wedding. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Good morning, Lori. How are you? I'm good. How are you? All right. I got a question for you. Yeah. You know how you're talking about service? Yep. Well, I work on an Alzheimer's unit. It's all women. I could set it up. Maybe um, somebody wanted to volunteer and just come in. If you can get us some information, we can think that through, how we let people know. And Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's a good Absolutely. What would you do? Oh, I had ankle surgery. Ah, it's my first time back. Good. I hope that you heal well Thank and quickly. You. Great service. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will look for that, Lori. All right. Thank you. Hi. Visitor. Good. I'm Paul. You are? And my name is Ed. Ed? 
Good to have you here. Excellent. I've been doing this for longer than 10 years. Which, doing what? I, I, I don't do concepts. Okay. I do reality. Okay. That's my point. Okay. You've got the reality out of that, which, which you brought up already. Don't look at them as concepts. Okay. Paul doesn't teach concepts. He speaks from here. My academics would call me Christocentric. Let's say that again. Christocentric, Christ-centered, yes. and Christomorphic. Think on that. Okay. Good. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Well, How are you, man? Excellent. Good to see you, Paul. You? All right. All right. Good. How are you, Cheryl? Good. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. All right. Hi, Bailey. How are you? Did a great job. Did that make sense today? Good. Great talking to you yesterday, too. Hey, Deb. Good. How are you today? Thank you for your message today. That was great. How are you? Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. The, the stuff. Good. The thing that I struggle with sometimes is um, the unworthiness of all, like me being unworthy of that, or feeling unworthy of all of that. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like your faith is rooted, but then you just are you worthy of that forgiveness? Sometimes I struggle. I struggle with that piece. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. But, but it's good. Mike. So, everything good? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. We're off to the Baltic for two weeks. Oh really? Yeah, we, we're heading out to uh, the Baltic cruise. Nice. So Denmark and Sweden and Russia and all that area. So nice. We'll be back. Very good. <laughs> good to see you. Hi Sandy. Very nice. Nice job. Hey, we saw an old friend of yours. Who's that? Joel Gray from Burkina Faso. Oh Missouri. wow. Yeah. Well I I met him once. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Jim's, Jim's son-in-law, isn't he? Yeah, Jim he was amazed that you remembered an email that he sent or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So are they home for a little bit? They were short time. Okay. They had to get out of Burkina. It's a very tough area. In Niger. Okay. Just over the border. But still has issues, but not. Yeah. They didn't have any security. Yeah. Sad they had a move. second to oldest. Cool. Yeah. Sir. Thank you. Hey. Beautiful. Sir. Good day. You had that going on in your mind before I even wrote that. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Hadn't settled on how to do it, but. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do everything I wanted, but I changed it. That's not the point, is it? I, I know, it's not at all. Hey, Steve. God move. Thanks, man. Hey, Donna. I love that sermon. Good. Yeah. It's wonderful how God uses you. And all of us in different ways. Have a good day. Thank you, thank you. Hey there, how are you? Reveling in your new uh, lake house? Hey, Roy. I just know Jesus, and that Jesus is enough. Yeah, 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 that's the point. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks, Jack. Hi. Gina or Regina? Gina. Gina and John. And John. Yes. Great. Great service. Have you guys been with us before? Yes. Oh, yeah. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. You recognize us after Excellent. Now, where, where, are you, where are you living? Where's, where are you from? Uh, she's in Plymouth. I'm in Norwood. Excellent. Yes. Right good. Down, right down the street. Well, welcome. Thank you very much. If you have any questions, give us a holler. Awesome. Glad you're here. Thank you so much. Hey, man. How's it going? Good. Did that make sense to you today? Yes, it did. It was actually really good service. Good. There's nothing left in there with water, right? No. Yeah. Hello. Hi. I'm with Ed, the gentleman you met when he first oh, okay. when I was my father-in-law. Okay. We all live in the same house together. Okay. We all moved in to situate together. Good. So we're all looking for a new church. Very nice. We had a disagreement at the last place, so this okay. is more what we're used to. So you're not new to the area. You're, you're We've just... only been in situate three years. Okay. So we all, they lived in Foxborough and I lived in Mansfield. And Four years ago, I said to him and his wife, who since passed, said, I want to move within walking distance of a beach, and I wanted to take take you guys with me. Yep. I was married to their son who died a long, long time ago. So well, welcome. Still home with them. Welcome. So my sweet new husband got, got them and my kids. <laughs> he got signed in for a whole big deal. Nice. Nice. So, well, I'm glad you found us. Where's your garden out here? It's, it's around that side of the parking lot. You go down. There's a okay. stairway down. Yeah. All right. Okay. Hi. I met you last Sunday, but I don't have your name Linda. down. Linda. Linda Santos. Good to have you here, Linda. Thank you. Two in a row. It's good. It's good. Hi, Gail. Keep coming. How are you, Gail? Okay. Yeah. Heading down to visit with Louise. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, Marie. Doing well. How are you? Hey, Jared. Looking good, buddy. This guy. <laughs> that was awesome. Did it make sense to you? Oh, yes. Good. That's my whole life. Thank you. We couldn't fit them all in if everybody who comes in the regular season were, were here in the summer. We wouldn't all fit. Yeah, and there are time slots. We're missing some people right now who, who come at 9 o'clock, but they got to work at 11. Right, right, right. So, you know, they've told me you can't meet them all. But for us, it's recognizing there are seasons, and summer's a little lighter season. So, okay. Yeah. Good morning. Hey. Great message, man. That makes sense to you? Oh, man. Great sense to me. Man. Good. I love it. Good. And I love the prayer. That church down there, too. That's cool. Yeah, we don't have to get involved in the politics, so let's pray for the believers that are in action. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, handsome. How are you? Very good, thank you. Good to see you. Very well. You guys are all dressed up today. I love it. That's good. Yeah. It's a nice day, too. So far. Hey, Richie. Nice shirt, man. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Appreciate it. You are Frank. Hey Frank. Yeah, first good, time here. Good to have you here. How'd yeah, thank you. Appreciate how'd you find it. us? Um, she found you. Okay. And that's my wife, and so yeah. I didn't get to see the snakes. I had to go take care of them. Okay. Sorry about that. Well, come again. I yeah, hope. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Hey Mike. How are you, buddy? I got a question. 
halfway. You, okay. Hey, Gene. Who can I ask for, like, a, do you know any, like, estate planners in the church? Someone that I could trust? Estate planner. Like, as far as, like, my mother's in assisted living. And she, like the legal side of that? Yeah, like, is there anybody at the church that does that kind of stuff? I don't know if Tom Harrison does that. Tom, Tom, Tom does um, or, transactional law. Or if he would know But he would know people. Yeah, Tom Harrison. Tom Harrison. How would I... Uh, okay, big guy with a yellow shirt, kind of balding. He's yeah. looking. So, he's looking that way. Yeah. That's Tom. Oh, okay. Tell I'm him. A, tell I'm him that a, I told you to introduce yourself to yeah. him. Thanks a lot. Great friend. All right. You hurt me on two levels, though. I got to tell you. What's that? No memo about the Hawaiian shirt. I had one waiting <laughs> sitting at home. Nothing. Nothing. It's summer, man. <laughs> I know. I know. And the second thing is, my son, you know, manages the Sixers. That was a painful moment to have to relive with Kawhi. That's oh. Right. But I'm okay, I'm, you know, I'm all right. I'll be, um, I'm going to recover quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Kawhi fan, I just remember that, that last second shot, yeah. Good to see you today again. Worth the I risk. Like Thanks, Beth. No, it was. I wrote some stuff. I like that. It feels and then you get to put things on papers. And then you feel like you're handing it over. Right? Good. Instead of just saying it. Good. Yeah. How's it going? How are you? I'm doing well. You're good? Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you changed it to ten. I was one of those nine liking nine. I was one of those who didn't like nine, but no. I lost <laughs> last year. And then we all realized after a short time that we should have done ten. There's a, there's a secret to it when you, I mean, summertime, it's a lighter schedule, people travel, people vacation, all that, yeah. so it, we would have two, you know, thinner services, 11 o'clock would be deadly when it gets hot, and, um, but if you move both crowds to one time, you're not favoring either one, you're kind of compromising. So. And it gives us a little more opportunity to take risks like that and yeah. it takes some time. Because yeah. it's not like everybody's looking at 12 o'clock, I gotta get out of here. No, no, I thought that was nice. So. Crowd energy, it felt like it was, it felt good. Yeah. It felt like it was, you know, we all, I feel like everyone was together. Getting my kids here was so much fun. That's, that's always gonna be true. Some do, I, I don't know, some catch, they got a teacher they really like and they can't wait, but. I can't, I can't, I don't know what it is, it's a long And I'm like, I, I can't, I'm like, please, you have to love God, you have to love church, you should love, and I'm like, I, I make it go. Good morning, good morning, my friend. Thank you. Hey, Wayne, good buddy. Have a good Sunday. Thank you. Hi, Frank. Hey, man. Hey, let me ask you a question. You know, uh, do you get the Marshall Mariner at all? Okay. You know, they had a big piece on Gay Pride. Okay. And just so you're aware, North Community Church, the church I came from, they have now a Gay Pride uh, flag in front. Hey, Mary Ellen. And they're going to be... I don't think I'm going to be here Labor Day. <laughs> okay. You're going to be back already to the no, island? Uh, a friend of mine in St. Croix has rented a house in Maine. She's invited 
from all over the country. I'm the closest Okay, one. okay. You will be there in spirit with us. Yes, I will. It's a big number. It's a big number, 30. Yes. Yeah. Hey, hey. hey, Gail. I'm coming back from Alaska and I'll be there. Okay. That's good. Hey, Kenny. Over the top again. One more. Welcome home. Enjoyed the pictures. But anyways, uh, they are going to perform same-sex uh, marriages. Uh, they've committed that. No and surprise. It, no, it isn't a surprise to me either. They're, yeah. That's the United Church of Christ. That's right. Right. But uh, I assume we will be tested at one point. How about my friend? Hi, MJ. And I don't know about you. You assume that what? We, this church will be tested at one Oh, time. we'll be tested, but we've already decided we're not doing that. So. Happy Fourth. Hey, my friend. Enjoy the fireworks. Yeah. Jeannie's got a lot of fireworks in her life, but now her mom's in Boston in the hospital. Uh, yeah, so she had a lunch transfusion this morning. So. Ouch. So Frank, we've developed a statement that we have that guides our overseers and our staff on that issue. Thank you, thank you. Ellen, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, sorry I'm yeah. sweating. How are you? I'm wonderful. Great to see you. Thank you. Up from Atlanta, you live in Florida? No, Where are you? I'm in Florida. In Florida. Now I'm in Boston. Now you're in Boston, okay. Very good, very good. Hi, Steve. 